You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. Yet again, if it's your first time or your 375th time, whatever it is, welcome to Grace. So glad that you're here, and I'm glad you got to meet Jenny Tate if you're relatively new to the church, and you really want to spend some time with Jenny out here. She is part of our family, as Allison said, and we are a big part of her family, and so get some time with um, with Jenny. And then next Sunday, I want to encourage you to do everything you can to be here. Isaac Mooneyham, who's the pastor at Wake Chapel Church in Fuquay, is going to be speaking He's a wonderful expositor of the word, really great guy, and it's just want you to see who the Lord is using in our area, so please be here next Sunday if you can. One last announcement before I jump in. If you are new to Grace, or uh, if you've been here a while, but you haven't taken any steps towards getting a little more involved or, or joining couple of dates in February to write down. February 5 is our discovery lunch. This will be a time after the second service. You come, we'll have lunch together with the elders and with the staff. I, see, I think it's steak and lobster this time that's coming up. So you will definitely want to be there for that. It's uh, maybe not steak and lobster pizza if they have that kind of a thing. But it, it'll be a time where you can get to know. You don't have to introduce yourself or anything like that. It's really informal just um, to get to meet and the, the, the staff and, then, and, and the elders. And then the following weekend, well, actually weekend after the, that, uh, February 18 and 19, two weeks out, is going to be our Grace Connection class from 9 on Saturday morning till noon and then uh, one hour on Sunday morning. And this will alert you to who we are, how we function, how we operate, what we believe, most importantly, what we believe, which determines everything else or which directs everything else that we do. And so, um, again, if, if you're going to be a member, you have to go through this class. But just because you take the class, we don't assume you're going to become a member. But if you just want to know more about who Grace is, it's a great place to meet other people. And once again, you may have to say your name, but that's it. You know, you, you don't have to say anything else uh, in that class. If you're kind of shy and introverted, you, but it'll be a great time to get to know uh, about grace. So <clears throat> I want to ask you this morning, as we get into the, the, the message, have you mastered the art of skimming a rock across the waters? I, I, my... Efforts would be adequate, acceptable, maybe, but some of you, I am certain, are quite proficient, and you can keep that rock going for a long time. This morning, we're going to be skimming the surface of some very deep waters. It's like being on a cruise in the middle of the ocean, and you're out there on the balcony of your cabin, if you can afford a balcony on a cabin, and you've got a glass... A glass of milk, that's what it is. You're out there and you're watching the water go by and you can see nothing but water. And it's just beautiful. 
breeze, water. But you know, and by the way, if you're on a cruise ship, you want to stay on the surface of the water. But you know that underneath, there is a world of beauty and purpose. And you recognize that there's so much more than meets the eye. Well, this morning, we're going to skim across the surface of the very deep waters of Ephesians 4, 11, through chapter 5, verse 2. You can see from the title that I'm about a year too late to have a nice rhyme in the title. Uh, we Best we can tell, it was written in AD 62. But you know what? This text is never too late. It's never too early. It's always, just like all of Scripture, right on time. It might be that the end of Acts 2 and the middle of Ephesians 4 are the two best summaries of how the church is supposed to function. There are a lot of texts that we that we encounter that talk about church life. Colossians 3 was one of those beautiful texts that we did during Advent that's like that. But these two texts, Acts 2 and Ephesians 4, tells us how it's supposed to work. What are the the, the mechanics of the church. It was true when the church was founded at Pentecost. It's true today. Now look, I am not about to make the claim that we do this better than any other church. By, by no means. There are a lot of wonderful churches out there. But I will say that we strive to do our best to follow the patterns that are laid out for us in Scripture. <clears throat> there is... Much more to church life that is given in Acts 2 and Ephesians 4. But if you get these right, a whole lot of the other stuff will fall into place. Even if you have to do a little, make a few adjustments once uh, it, it falls. So there are going to be three points of focus in this morning's message. It's, let me say it's three main points of focus. But then there will be three or four sub points for each main Point. So we're going to be skimming along the surface. And I hope you're going to be encouraged to go back into this text and do a much deeper dive as we go. I'll read the fourth, uh, first portion of our text, and then we'll jump into the first area of focus. So our text is Ephesians 4, 11 through 5, chapter 5, verse 2. But we're going to be reading chapter 4, verses 11 to 16 initially. So if you would please stand for the reading of Scripture. And he gave the apostles, he gave, this is Jesus, giving to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Shepherds and teachers, probably one gift, there's no definite article there for teachers, so it's shepherd teachers. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, 
speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. By the way, Brooks and Ash and Oakley, Ashlyn Oakley, some of our other missionaries are here today. Just wanted to say hello to you guys. So three main points, beginning with this first one. Every believer has a role to fill in the church, and every role is crucial for the welfare of the body. Now, one of the ways that you can know that we're skimming this text is because it begins with and. If you're just joining us in, in these last two or three weeks, you should know that this is not our typical pattern for preaching. Typically, we're in a book. It's expository messages. We're going from one week to the next. A foundation is laid, and we're going to be jumping back into 1 Corinthians in a few weeks. And so it might be good to go to the website if you're so inclined and maybe re -listen, to listen or read either one. They're both available. The first two or three sermons from 1 Corinthians and anything else that maybe interest you, so you'll have a, a context for getting there. A summary of Ephesians 4, 1 through 10, which leads to the and in verse 11, is simply Paul talking about one body, one spirit, one God, one Lord, one baptism, all designed for us to live in the one hope that is ours because of Jesus' victory over sin and death. In verse 7, we're told that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In two weeks, back in 1 Corinthians 12, there's a, there are a whole lot of similarities. In 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be talking about spiritual gifts. And even though Ephesians 4 is not exactly the same sort of feel as 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, another place where the gifts are talked about. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, the gift of Christ to the church in our text is the teachers that are given to the church. All the ministries mentioned in verse 11 were filled by teachers. Now, apostles and prophets in the sense of the the early church are no longer in existence today. We have people who function like apostles. So if you were to go to an area in another country where there were no churches and you began to preach the gospel and people came to Christ and you're helping to establish those churches, that's, that's sort of work like an apostle, but not like these guys, the apostles and prophets who could stand up on a Sunday morning and say, thus says the Lord, if Brian Lee were to stand up all of a sudden and say, I have a word from the Lord, he took it. He almost did it. He thought that was the impulse of the Spirit maybe working on. But if he stood up and said, this is a word from the Lord. It's new. You've never heard it before. Someone years ago said, you know, God has given me stuff that he didn't even give the apostles or the gospel writers. You know who it was? Joyce Myers. So, but, but that doesn't happen. God doesn't do that. When the apostles and prophets, when the scripture 
was completed, that was it. No more of that kind of word. That's revelation from God. He gives us understanding, illumination. Be careful how you use words when you say, God gave me a revelation. Well, not in the sense that he did to the apostles and prophets in the, in the early days. But evangelists, of whom Jenny is one, and teachers are absolutely gifted people who are gifted today to serve the church. And teachers, though, are bound to the words of the apostles and prophets who wrote for our benefit. So in this way, teachers that are given to the church are helping to keep the church true to the gospel and equipped to do the work of the church. So most of the rest of the sermon will be a series of what might appear to be random thoughts and quotes from, from others through the ages, but they are absolutely anchored in the text. So most of the quotes are going to come from the 21st century, but we'll have a word from the late 2nd century as well. Four thoughts about this first portion of our text. First, the role of teaching is a distinct ministry. So is the Christian... Life, a matter of the mind or the heart? You know the answer. Yes, it is both. Now look, if it's all mind, if there's nothing from the heart, you got big problems. You got big problems when you stand before the Lord on that day. If Christianity, if, if, if Christ is not, does not go to the deepest recesses of our, not only our minds, but to every portion of our being, then we don't belong to him. It is equally true that if we're just all about the heart and emotion and relationship and we're never building our understanding of the gospel, this, these deep waters that lie beneath the surface, then our spiritual growth will be severely stunted. In verse 11 of our text, the Apostle Paul states clearly that the teachers given to the church are a gift of great importance. Jesus, we are told, gave this gift to the church. It's not teacher and. Look, I, I, I really hate to be the one to say this, but, but think of the way. I, I, I wish somebody else would, would be able to say this in my place. But think of this. The, the, the idea of the American pastor is teacher, counselor, uh, visitor, uh, doing whatever else needs to be done. That is not really the design. I love to do it. You know that I'm a people person. I love to Connect and communicate as much as I possibly can. But teaching is my primary role and responsibility. So, in the same way that the Lord told the disciples in the farewell discourse in John 13 to 17, that the Holy Spirit would continue his work in the world after he ascended, so... The teachers that are given to the church proclaim God's truth to the church. And then the church, along with the teacher, proclaims it outwardly 
to the world. It's the same pattern of God saying to Abram, I will bless you and your family, and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. These patterns that occur over and over in Scripture, Jesus said to the disciples, I must leave, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you, and so much more will be accomplished when the Holy Spirit takes you and sends you all over the world. And now, the apostles and the prophets have written the word, and the teachers in the church, and by the way, we have a church full of teachers. A lot of you are teachers. The teachers will then carry on Jesus' work with him as the head of the body. And speaking of seeing these patterns in Scripture, where Jenny is going to be going to school, more theological college, has had a, an unbelievable impact on evangelical and Protestant thought around the world. Graham Goldsworthy was the one who really brought into popularity many years ago the idea of the scripture as a storyline. You know, the Jesus Book Story Bible, that, that started at, at, at more. It's not that it wasn't around, but it's just that it really became popular at that time. When we explain the gospel is, as creation, fall, redemption, restoration, that's coming from more. That's the benefit that the church has been given, the beauty that they have been given to us. So pray that Jenny will be there for four years. Well, three or four years, whatever the Lord. But four years, let's pray for four years for her to be there. Now, that's harder for her because in America, you, you go to undergrad and then you do maybe a year and a half, two years for a master's, unless you're in seminary, then you do three, most likely put out to four or five. And now she's adding another year on top of that if she does it. So pray for her. God's blessing of teachers for the church is, well, first and foremost, given to the church. And the notion of the individual Christian who is bigger than the church is more of an American idea than a biblical principle. And there is absolutely no room for pride in any of the teachers of the church. It's always a check and balance. And it's a beautiful thing about elder rule. There are checks and balances. But this is God's design as the next point of verse. Without sound doctrine, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. All the service that we do, all the ways that we help without sound doctrine, nothing else matters. I don't think many of us would argue with this. Many of us, though, are tempted to think that we have it right when very few others do. But we learn best in community. It was God's design. N.T. Wright said this about the early church, quote, By contrast with most of the ancient world, early Christianity was very much a bookish culture. He had just stated in the paragraph prior to this that Christians taught people how to read because they knew the importance of the word. How horrible when when church leaders take the word away from the people. The, the, the point of 
of teaching is to help people to know how to get in there and find it for themselves. So it was a bookish culture. We sometimes think of the movement as basically a religion, but a first century observer blundering in on a meeting of Christians would almost certainly have seen them initially as belonging to some kind of educational institution. This is the more remarkable in that education in that world was mostly reserved for the rich, for the elite. Close quote. The primary burden of teaching the word at grace is laid on the staff and elders of the church, but then extends to everybody who is in any ministry here at church, like the new home group that is starting up today with Rylan and Stephen Eisenberg leading that, Rylan and Julia and Stephen and Michelle and inviting people there. That's a burden that is laid on us. It's the elders' responsibility to protect the flock from heresy. But each member of the church is tasked with searching the scripture to see if what we teach is true. So, so much in this text, but hopefully you'll soak in it all week. The next truth for our focus is this. Maturity is only found in Jesus. The purpose of teaching is not only to speak of Jesus, but to lead all of the body to attain to the unity of the faith, faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and to be able to discern between orthodox teaching and false teaching. Look, we spend a lot of time, even with other believers, and it's fine, it's just the way it's designed, on the surface of life, and honestly, on the surface of Scripture. When someone says, I just think that the Bible teaches such and such, then you should be able to graciously respond with, you know, I understand that's a, that's a common thought, but if you, if you go just a little bit below the surface, I think maybe we'll find something a little bit different. I, you have those moments where, you know, this is just like, oh, I'm so happy to be a part of this, or I feel so proud of, of, of others or this group of people. We had a moment like that in an evening here at Grace, and someone was speaking, a, a guest from another country, in fact, and said something about Scripture and about our relationship to Scripture that really wasn't, I just don't think most of us would agree with. And I, it was not that big a deal. It wasn't heresy by any stretch, but it was just a wrong focus on Scripture. And the entire group of people that were here, and I mean spread out all over. We had tables set up. It was a, it was a really nice evening. But the whole church says, ah. Oh, you know, I mean, everybody said, ah, uh, it's kind of like, ah, uh, not really. But it, we were gracious and it was no need to, to do any kind of calling down. But that's the place that the Lord wants us to be, that we understand and discern his words at that level. Remember from last Sunday, our good works... And even our understanding, our interpretation of Scripture is not so that, 
but because. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Last in this section, every single member of the body is necessary for healthy life. Do you know what your role is at Grace? We'll be in 1 Corinthians 12 about spiritual gifts in a couple of weeks. I can say this with all authority. If this is your church home, you've got a role. And if you're fulfilling that role, we're all the better. And if you're not, we're lacking something. You have been assigned a role to fill here at Grace. Many of the roles require membership, but not all. If you're not a member, again, Discovery Lunch, Grace Connection. God gave you spiritual gifts for, with the intention of you serving the body. Some people put emphasis on the gifts as in, well, this indicates that I have a very special relationship. No, that's not the purpose of the... the we are... To serve one another. And by the way, perhaps you're not able to serve the way that you want to. But you can pray. And you can give. Look, the people who are praying for us might be, the ones who pray frequently for us, might be the most important members in our church. And nobody knows who they are. But God knows Everybody's called to give. Everybody's called to pray. Everybody's called to evangelize. Everybody is called. But some are gifted in a way. This is the way that you serve the body. So, the second main point of our text is this. The expectation for the Christian life is simple. Pretty simple. Live as though you belong to Jesus. It's not all about being bookish, as N.T. Wright said, although that's the proper foundation. But maturity in Christ should impact every area of our lives. Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, he's talking to Gentiles. A lot of them were Gentiles. And he says, don't walk like the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds... They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard him is the best translation. And we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness 
and holiness. Putting off the old, putting on the new. Three thoughts from this portion of our text, beginning with this. The great New Testament mystery is that Gentiles have been brought into the covenant family. So quit acting like Gentiles. I encourage you through Faith Life this past week to read Ephesians 4 and 5 before today. It would have been maybe too much to ask you to read the whole book of Ephesians, but I hope you'll be encouraged to do that after the message today. A mystery in the New Testament is something that was hidden in the past but is now made known in Christ. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But this is a great mystery that our salvation is wrought in Christ and, and that Gentiles are brought in to the family. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 4 through 6 says, when you read this, Paul is writing to these Ephesian believers, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Amen. See, my wife gets more amens with one statement than I do in a year. Now that you've brought into the family, been brought into the family, Ephesians 4.17 says, quit living like Gentiles, like pagans, like those who might be religious but are not saturated in the gospel. Look, it's almost like we're in church now. Gentiles have been in the family for a long, long time. So we sort of take for granted our place in the covenant family. And we look out at other nations or other people in our own land and we say, wow, they're, they're, they're pagans. They have nothing to do with the church. Well, the Jews were far more insular than we are. We're outward focused, but the Jews understood God's blessings to be on the family. And if you wanted to be a member of the family, you had to become a Jew. It's not like you can just be a Christian. You had to become a Jew with all the rites and rituals. You had to obey the law as best you were able. But they looked at the unbelievers and they were like, wow, those guys are really pagan. And we may think the same thing. But this is who we were before God saved us. And he's saying, quit acting like you used to act. Our hope lies in the gospel. And it's the second thought in this section. Gospel truth safeguards our heart and encourages godly, godliness or godly living as I have there. One of the greatest dangers for believers is the temptation to allow a hard heart to form in us. I, I've been thinking about the old Petra song these last few years, and so three of you know what I'm talking about. Don't let your heart be hardened. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. Get Siri to play it for you sometime. Or Alexa or whoever, not Siri, but Alexa. Don't let your heart be hardened. What? has discouraged you of late. I mean something that came 
out of left field. What has angered you or caused you to grow numb to the truth of God's word? The gospel is the cure, the deep, rich waters that are beneath the surface. I've been blessed of late with the first few chapters of Trevin Wax's book, The Thrill of Orthodoxy. Somebody said after the first sermon, we just laughed when we saw that title, The Thrill of Orthodoxy. A few lines are applicable here, but do not try to write these down. You can take a picture of the two screens that are going to be up, or you can, you'll have access to them in home group. So if you're not in a home group, good week to get in to the home group. But here are a few excerpts. Assuming orthodoxy is the path to abandoning orthodoxy. As soon as you put fundamental Christ, Christian truths in the of course category, and move on to something else, you make yourself vulnerable to the currents that would pull you away from the truth. You get, you get what he's saying? Well, well, look, of course I believe that. But look, let's talk about more important things. When we assume the gospel, it is a sign that we've lost the sight of the beauty before us. We wander when we lose our wonder. The assumption that Christianity is primarily about what we do rather than about the one in whom we believe misses the fundamental point of the gospel. This is really crucial. The gospel is not about our deeds, but about Christ's deeds through us. Study in theology is not a Distraction from good works. Sound theology is a fountain for good works that last. Devalue the fountain and watch the good works dry up. It'd be worth a look at the book. An application from these powerful thoughts is the last focus from the middle portion of our text. The daily discipline of putting off the old and putting on the new reveals God's righteousness and holiness through us. The righteousness and holiness that he has worked into us. The best work you could do all day long is when you get up in the morning and you're taking your pajamas off and you're putting your new clothes on, just say, Lord, with your strength, may I put off the flesh, may I put off the old man, and may I put on... Christ, and then the good works will flow through you. So ask the Lord to let you live and think and act in a manner consistent with your identity in Christ. One evidence that we are paying attention to Scripture is the focus of our last point. Guard your heart and watch your mouth. 425 to 52. It, it, it was this portion of scripture that led me, or this portion of the text that led me to preach from Ephesians 4 this week. I really wanted to just go verses 29 to 32. That's all I wanted to do, but it kept expanding. Uh, this, the Spirit impressed on my heart from those verses, 429 to 32, that I cannot control my tongue if my heart is not controlled by the Lord. 
or more accurately reflecting the text, I cannot control my tongue if I do not make the gospel my focus and if I do not guard my heart and mind. Remember from 1 Peter 2, he didn't say a word. He entrusted his soul to the one worthy of our trust, the Father. Jesus, when he was being crucified, kept his tongue. So as I read these verses, ask the Lord for a commitment to gracious words, and you will find gospel truth all through the text, especially at the end. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. When you're anger, if you're reading through the Psalms this year, if you've started off, you saw it in Psalm 4. That's where that verse comes from. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest works with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. I, I used to love to hear my little kids say this verse in the King James, you know, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. You, you heard about the, the, the little child that was reciting scripture and combined two and said, a lie is an abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in a time of trouble. <laughs> And while that is, well, no, let's just, let's just move on. Move on. Be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. Just a plug for another book as if you need another book. Forgive by Timothy Keller. Unbelievable. Alice and I are reading it together. It's unreal. We just say, wow, wow, over and over in this book. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When you put your gospel glasses on, you'll see it everywhere in Scripture. What is our motivation to speak tender and gracious words? Christ loved us. And gave himself for us. So four thoughts. And man, I'm going to fly through them. I know what time it is. First, it's a because, not so. So that, I mean. Because Jesus loves us, not so that he will love us. First, honesty with yourself and with others thwarts the work of Satan in the church. We need to be honest with ourselves about who we are at the core Hiding and lying and flattering and accusing and reviling. That's who we used to be. 
There is a beauty in repentance when we confess to the Lord, when we feel like we've done the worst thing we have ever done in our lives, and we say, oh, God. And we confess there's this odd sense of joy that wells up within us because of his forgiveness. It's why we need to give attention to being absolutely honest. We no longer belong to Satan and our lives are not our own, which is why the next thought is so important. Grieving the Holy Spirit of God is no small thing. When we criticize and condemn and slander, we grieve the Holy Spirit. This is no small thing. We are commanded to be tender-hearted and speak words that build up rare rather than tear down. And it's why we must give attention to our enemy who seeks to cause us to do the exact opposite as the next thought cautions. Hurtful words proceed from a bitter heart and play into Satan's hands. Verse 27 admonishes us to give no place to the devil. We do so, verse 26, when we allow ourselves to marinate in anger, whether our anger is righteous or unrighteous. But even if our anger is justified, Psalm 4, do not be angry, do not, or be angry, but do not sin and do not go to sleep angry. So here's a challenge for you. The next time you want to say something negative about somebody else, you know, like, like when you get in the car and you're on your way home and it's just a family and you say, you know, you say, the next time you're tempted to do that, then turn that thought into a prayer. Because you've got no hope of controlling your tongue. And you've got no hope of controlling your tongue if you don't control your mind. And you've got no hope of controlling your mind if the Lord is not in charge. If you're not swimming in those deep waters of the gospel. If you stay on the surface, then you can somehow justify it. It's all right. Singles, students... Children, parents, family, Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 is a good passage to memorize. And this last thought from this section amounts to a summary statement of the whole. We are called to live and love in the spirit and in the power of the gospel. Amen. So here's that thought from the second century. Probably, well, one of the most important theologians in all of church history is one you have likely never even heard of. Irenaeus was his name. He was the Bishop of Lyon. And he was the main defender of the faith against Gnosticism. Gnosticism, which was really more of a philosophy than a religion, still threatened 
the church. Now that we know the gates of hell will not stand against the church, will not prevail. God was going to take care of it, but he used Irenaeus to do the big work. Gnosticism thought it's a secret knowledge that you have with God. The material, it was, a, it was a, just a, 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 an extreme thought of Platonism. Platonist thought where spiritual is good, material is evil. And sex was thought of as very dirty. Childbirth was far more disgusting. And so Gnosticism was not only a threat to the church, it was a threat to Western civilization itself. And if you'll listen, you don't have to listen carefully. You're hearing the same kind of talk today. It's not characterized exactly the same, but that's what's going on in the world today. But Irenaeus was every bit as devotional as he was theologian. And an apologist. And his devotions were every bit as good as his apologetics. So I want to close this morning with a word from Irenaeus that helps us with our hearts. It's this. Is that screen available, David? Okay. I'm so grateful for these guys that, that serve in the back and Lots of times things happen. It's not anything they have to do with. It is not you that shapes God. It is God that shapes you. If you are the work of God, await the loving hand of the artist who does all things in due season. Offer him your heart. Soft and tractable or pliable. And keep the form in which the artist has fashioned you. Let your clay be moist, or one translation I've seen says, retain your moisture. Lest you grow hard and lose the imprint of his fingers. So take just a moment and contemplate this silently, and then we'll pray. Let's pray. But Father, um, you have spoken to us through your word. And it's not always pleasant to examine our lives in the light of your word. We'd far rather examine our lives in view of the culture, but we're not. That's not what we're allowed to do. It's through your word. So, Lord, make us more like Jesus. And we realize that it's a sacrifice. Everything that we do, what we don't say, who we forgive, all of these things are a sacrifice. And we assume the loss. But, oh, that's, that's Jesus. 
And so, Lord, we pray that you would shape and mold our lives and that we would be pliable, susceptible to your work in our hands and that we would speak gracious words because of the tender heart you've given us in Christ in whose magnificent name and all that it represents we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.